Preface to the Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume 1, by Edward Tyus Cook. Preface men and women are divided in relation to their papers into hoarders and scatterers miss nightingale was a hoarder and as she lived to be ninety the accumulation of papers stored in her house at the time of her death was very great the papers referring to years up to eighteen sixty one had been neatly done up by herself but it was evident that not everything had been kept after that date time and strength to sort and weed had been wanting and miss nightingale seems to have thrown little away even soiled sheets of blotting paper on which she had made notes in pencil were preserved by a will executed in eighteen ninety six she had directed that all her letters papers and manuscripts with some specific exceptions should be destroyed by a codicil executed in the following year she revoked this direction and bequeathed the letters papers and manuscripts to her cousin mr henry bonham carter after her death the papers were sorted chronologically by his direction and they have formed the principal foundation of this memoir of expressly autobiographical notes miss nightingale left very few at the date of the codicil mentioned above she seems to have contemplated the probability of some authoritative record of her life for in that year she wrote a short summary of what she called my responsibility to india detailing her relations with successive secretaries of state governors-general and other administrators her memory in these matters was still accurate for the summary is fully borne out by letters and other papers of the several dates it adds some personal details in private letters she sometimes recounted at later times episodes or experiences in her life but such references are few nor except for a few years did miss nightingale keep any formal diary and during the crimean episode she was too incessantly busy with her multitudinous duties to find time for many private notes the principal authority for miss nightingale's life is thus the collection of papers aforesaid and these are very copious in information the records in one sort or another of her earlier years are full the papers relating to her work during the crimean war are voluminous and i have supplemented the study of these by consulting the official documents concerning miss nightingale's mission which are preserved among war office papers in the public record office her papers relating to public affairs during the years eighteen fifty six to eighteen sixty one are also very voluminous after the latter date she seems as already stated to have kept almost everything even every advertisement that she received she often made notes for important letters that she sent and sometimes kept copies of them of official documents of printed memoranda pamphlets reports and returns she accumulated an immense collection and though she was not a regular diarist she was in the habit of jotting down on sheets of note-paper her engagements impressions thoughts meditations and also in many cases reports of conversations 
the collection of letters received by miss nightingale and of her notes for letters sent by her has been supplemented through the kindness of many of her correspondents or their representatives by letters which were received from her i am more especially indebted in this respect to the care of the late sir douglas galton whose docketed collection of letters from Miss Nightingale, taken in conjunction with a long series of his letters to her, forms a main authority for much of the record of her activity in public affairs. Her letters to Julius and Mary Ball, returned to her after the death of the latter, are in another way of peculiar interest. I am particularly indebted among the lenders of letters addressed to nursing friends, to Miss Pringle and to the father of the late Mrs. Daniel Morris, Miss Rachel Williams. Miss Pringle has also favored me with personal reminiscences. For permission to print letters written to Miss Nightingale, I am indebted to many of her relations, friends, and correspondents, or their representatives, to so many indeed that I ask them to accept here a general acknowledgment. I am especially indebted to the King, who has been pleased to permit the publication of letters from Queen Victoria and some other members of the royal family. The German Emperor has graciously given a like permission in the case of correspondence with the Empress Frederick. The Dowager Grand Duchess Louise of Baden has allowed me to quote from a long series of letters addressed by her to Miss Nightingale. Next to the letters and other papers above described, the most valuable material for the life of Miss Nightingale is contained in her own printed writings, many of them published, some, and these from the biographical point of view the most important, privately printed. In the case of the Crimean War, material under both of these heads is particularly abundant. Her published notes on hospitals and notes on nursing and other works relating to those subjects, together with her privately circulated addresses to probationers, supplement her private records. For her inner life, her privately printed book, Suggestions for Thought, is of special importance. A list of Miss Nightingale's printed writings, whether published or privately circulated, is given at the end of the second volume, Appendix A. My purpose in compiling this list was biographical illustration, not biographical minuteness. I have not included every scrap from Miss Nightingale's pen which has appeared in print, but have given every piece which is directly or indirectly referred to in the memoir, or which is of any importance. The list will, I hope, serve a double purpose. It enables me to abbreviate in the text the references to my authorities, and it provides, in chronological order, a conspectus of Miss Nightingale's varied activities so far as they were reflected in her printed writings. Lastly, there is much biographical material, not only in blue books and official reports, but in writings about Miss Nightingale except in the case of the Crimean War, where many eyewitnesses recorded their observations or impressions, this material is not all of great value. Throughout her subsequent life, Miss Nightingale was screened from the public gaze, a somewhat legendary figure grew up, and it is that which for the most part appears in books about her. This, however, is a subject fully dealt with in an introductory chapter. In Appendix B, I give a short list of writings about Miss Nightingale. Here, again, the purpose is not bibliographical. 
there is a great mass of such writing and a complete list would have been altogether outside the scope of a biography i have included only first-hand authorities or such other books etc as for one reason or another explained in the notes upon each item seemed relevant to the memoir this second list also serves the purpose of simplifying references in the text in a third appendix c i have enumerated the principal portraits of miss nightingale notes on those reproduced in this book will there be found i am indebted to the kindness of sir william richmond and sir harry verney for the inclusion of the portrait which forms the frontispiece to the second volume and to mrs cunliffe for the frontispiece to the present volume to miss nightingale's executors i am indebted for the confidence which they have shown in entrusting her papers to my discretion a biography is worth nothing unless it is sincere the aim of the present book has been to tell the truth about the subject of it and i have done my work under no conscious temptation to suppress exaggerate extenuate or distort from miss nightingale's executors and from other of her friends and relatives i have received help and information which has been of the greatest assistance more especially i am indebted to her cousin mrs vaughan nash who has been good enough to read my book both in manuscript and in proof and who has favored me throughout with valuable information corrections suggestions and criticisms this obligation makes it the more incumbent upon me to add that for any faults in the book whether of commission or of omission i alone must bear the blame End of preface